When I lived in Lubbock, Texas, I went to a dinner one night at Texas Tech, and there was assigned seating. They had placed me at a table sitting next to a man who was wearing the largest cross around his neck that I have ever seen. It must have been at least 12 inches long. It was in wood. I was shocked when I saw it. I sat down next to him as I was assigned to do, and he began immediately talking to the whole table. Must be nine or ten people at the table. He began talking about this problem that they were having at their church. Everybody looked up when he started talking, wanting to know what the problem was. And he said, oh, we just have such a problem. We have rebuilt and put more space onto the church building several times. And we still can't seat all the people who are trying to come to our church. He was a Baptist. I listened to him for a few minutes. And then I said, well, if you would speak all of the scriptures, you would have no trouble seating the people. For example, if you would speak what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, you wouldn't have any trouble seeing the people. About half of the people would get up and leave you if you spoke all the scriptures. He looked shocked. His mouth fell completely open. I got up and fled. There wasn't any way I was going to sit next to a man like that at dinner. I knew what his goal was to have big numbers, because big numbers mean lots of money. But you can't speak all the scriptures and have big numbers. And what size churches do you see today? Big ones, huge ones. It's amazing to me how many big churches there are. But if you spoke that one scripture, they'd leave you. And you wouldn't have anywhere near the size church that you have today. Matthew 5.32, Jesus said, Whosoever marrieth her that is divorced committeth adultery. Many of the churches today are catering to homosexuals and lesbians, trying to get them to come to their church. Some people even have homosexuals and lesbians for their pastors. How can this be? How can this be? Romans chapter 1. Let's start reading at verse 
21 concerning homosexuals and lesbians. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Verse 24, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural youth of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God, In their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. One time my cleaning lady asked me about homosexuals, and I read that section of scripture to her. And then she said, but what about those who say they were just born that way? She said, I hear them on talk shows say they were just born that way. I didn't have an answer for her at that moment, but a few days later, God gave me one. It is in Mark chapter 10. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. They were created as male and female. They weren't just born that way. But Because they failed to recognize God, it says in Romans 1, and they misrepresented God in their own image, he gave them over to vile affections. So they weren't just born that way. They were born either male or female, but given over by God to vile affections. Can they be saved? Yes, absolutely. If they look at this scripture and see the truth and repent and walk away from homosexual and lesbian and stop doing those things, they can be saved, just like any other sinner can be saved. Unfortunately, as we come closer to the end times, we have a falling away from Scripture 
at churches. It was ordained by God. The apostasy in the churches was ordained. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll read what Paul said would happen to the churches in the last days. Paul said Jesus would not come until this falling away happened in the churches. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 Let no man deceive you by any means for that day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In 1982, I was reading this section of scripture, and God spoke to me and said, The falling away are not people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. And that is Antichrist. The churches leaving portions of scripture in order to approve people and get them to come to their churches. Having a big church group makes you feel important. It makes the people in the church feel important. And it certainly makes the pastors feel important. So they want a big church group. At the time God showed me to go on radio in 1980, I was attending Word of Faith Church, Robert Tilton Pastor in Farmers Branch, Texas. When I started going to that church, we had approximately 200 people meeting in an old rundown warehouse. Within five years, Bob had turned that into an 8,000-seat modern auditorium, which was equipped to record radio and television broadcast. I did not like the messages that I heard spoken by Bob at the 11 o'clock service for the most part because he talked so much about prosperity. Now, I had been shown by God how to have prosperity and good success. But what I was shown was Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This was how you prosper and have good success in everything you do. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law, or the Bible, 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So I saw meditating in the scriptures as the way to good success and prosperity in everything I did. And I believed that, and I still believe it. I just followed whichever scripture the Holy Spirit brought to my attention as I was reading the Bible and did that scripture day after day, keeping it before me day after day to enable me to be able to do that scripture. Just like it says in this scripture, Joshua 1.8. But that's not what Bob was teaching. He was teaching you to find a scripture and claim it over whatever it was that you wanted to do. I didn't know the teaching was wrong when I started going there. I thought I had been doing the same thing they had been doing because I was looking at a scripture and meditating in the scripture so that I would be able to do the scripture and then I would have prosperity and good success in all that I do. And I thought we were doing the same thing. At one point, the Bible teacher of the singles group told me, he said, Joan, you're not anything like us. I said, I'm not? I thought I was doing the same thing. He said, no, you're not. He said, we talk about faith. You are actually living it. And then I found out that they were using Scripture to try to get a new pickup or a new refrigerator or whatever physical possession they wanted. Bob even said at church one time, if you want a red pickup, find a picture of a red pickup, cut it out of a magazine, and put it on the front of your refrigerator so every time you go to the refrigerator, you will see that red pickup, and one day, after you've seen it enough times, you'll figure out a way to get it. It's a perversion of the truth. It's a subtle difference, but it isn't acting by faith. It is conjuring up this item that you want, something you want. Now, I tried to do it, but it didn't work for me. I wanted to get married, and so I found a scripture in Isaiah which says, None shall want her mate. And I claimed it every day faithfully as I prayed. But it wasn't God's will for me. And that's one thing that has to be a part of your prayer is the will of God for you. So it's a subtle difference, but 
a huge difference. Focusing on what the Holy Spirit brings to your mind and reconstructing your life by the scriptures. That is the direction to go. For example, as a new Christian, I saw Romans chapter 13, verse 8, and it just burned through me. Owe no man anything. And I really believed that I was supposed to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And I still believe it. And I began working toward getting out of debt. And I've been out of debt now since 1975 and have not gone into debt. And if something would cause me to go into debt, I really can't imagine doing it. I think it would stop me from buying that item if it caused me to go into debt. So that is being led by the Spirit of God because it's the Spirit of God who called that scripture to my attention and made it burn inside me and made me want to do it. That's following the Spirit of God. But to follow your own lust and claim scripture thinking you can get what you want, that's a perversion. Of doctrine. Well, I was in it for several years and God gave me a dream and brought me out of it. The dream God gave me, which brought me out of the faith movement, as Bob taught it at least, was this. I went into a room where a man was speaking to a group of people and I sat down and began listening. A second man came in to the room and walked up to the side of where we were seated and said, Stop, wait, can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. The first man continued speaking. The second man just disappeared. Nobody in the room seemed interested in seeing what had already begun. But I wanted to see what had already begun. So I looked out the windows to my left, and there was a tall metal pole. On top of that pole was one of those yellow civil defense speakers that are set there for the purpose of warning us when there's a problem. Out of the front of that speaker, I could see a vapor coming out of that speaker, and I knew it was poisonous. It was going to kill the people, and it was coming directly toward us who were sitting in that room, and I knew it would kill us. And I was so shocked. The very thing that was put there to warn us was being used to kill us. I looked at the man who was sitting next to me. He had a big smile on his face. He was looking directly at the speaker. 
Then I saw it. He was a dead man. He was a corpse. He was already dead, though he looked like he was living. I looked around the room, and the other people were already dead. And as I sat there listening to that man who was speaking, I began to drift off, and I knew I was falling asleep, dying. After that, I went to Word of Faith on a Wednesday night, sat down. Bob was speaking to the congregation. I looked at the man who was sitting to the left of me. He was the man in that poison gas dream who was dead. I was so shocked. I looked at the other people in the congregation, and I felt they were the congregation that was in the poison gas dream. I got up and went to the ladies' room and began praying, and I said to God, I think you are showing me to leave this church group. I'm going to go out and get in my car and drive away, but if you want me to come back, just show me, and I'll turn around and come back. Well, God did not want me to come back. He wanted me to leave. And he began showing me things that sounded right but weren't right at the church, things that they were preaching, like the thing of using Scripture to try to get what you wanted by claiming the Scripture and how that was very different from what I was doing, though I thought it was the same thing, but I was being led by the Holy Spirit, and following him, except in that one case of wanting to get a husband. And then I saw the difference. Another thing they were teaching was that all things that are good are from God, and all things that are bad are from the devil. Kenneth Copeland came along with a doctrine called authority of the believer, and he taught us that we as Christians could stand against the devil. Therefore, if a storm tried to come toward our house to destroy our property, we could take authority over the devil who was sending the storm and not allow our property to be destroyed or our family to be hurt by taking authority over the devil. And that sounds right except for one problem. We assume that we know good from evil. We think an earthquake is bad. We think a tornado is bad because it destroys lives and property. But according to the Bible, where do these storms come from? Do they come from devils or do they come from God? Well, I was reading the Bible, and God showed me a scripture where an earthquake brought about salvation. We'll read that. It's in Matthew 27. At the time Jesus was crucified, verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. 
and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now verse 54 is what I saw. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. When they saw that earthquake, truly, this was the Son of God. And I saw earthquakes are from God and brought salvation. One time, God sent an earthquake and it opened the prison doors where Paul was being held. And I saw scriptures in Psalms where stormy winds fulfilling his word and hail and various things came from heaven. And I knew the doctrine was not true on the authority of the believer, that earthquakes were from God, storms were from God, stormy winds, tornadoes were from God, hail was from God. I could find scriptures with all of these things showing me that these things were from God. While they were teaching, that those things were from devils and destroyed your property. Later, I became close friends with Vanetta Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's mother. And she told me this. Some child in the Copeland family was in the hospital, and she said, Joan, that child was dying. And they were quoting scripture over the child, and the child was dying, and she said, I saw that, and I got up and left the room, went into an empty hospital room, fell down on my knees, and began praying for God to save the child. She knew the doctrine was not true. Sadly, I don't think she ever publicly told that, not to my knowledge. But she knew. In the end times, there will be many antichrists preaching in the churches. And they will preach doctrines that are not truth. That is the end time apostasy where the people fall away from scripture in the churches and take up another doctrine. Often I've heard older people say, things are so different at church today. They're so watered down. I've heard that so many times. That's because churches quit preaching about sin because they didn't want to offend the people that were coming to their church. So they just stopped speaking about that subject.
How are they going to be saved if you don't hear about sin? That's how I was saved. I was at home and the Holy Spirit spoke to me August 5th, 1975 and said, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. And I said, oh, sins? I thought they were mistakes. I was born again that instant. My mother was born again. When I was visiting her after I was born again, she had always loved horoscopes. And when I was a child, we would go to town and she would get the horoscope magazine for the month and read my horoscope to me. And she read hers also to herself. And she'd always loved horoscopes. She was in her 70s by that time and not born again. I went to visit her. I, did, I lived in another town. I went to visit her. I opened the kitchen cabinet, and there was a set of horoscope mugs, Zodiac mugs, with Zodiac symbols on them, coffee mugs. I remembered giving them to her back before I was born again, hoping to please her because she enjoyed things like that so much. When I saw them that day, I got a garbage bag and began putting the mugs in the garbage bag. She was sitting there watching me, and when she realized what I was going to do, she said, Stop! I want to keep those. You gave those to me. I didn't say a word. I just put the mugs in the garbage bag, took them out to the alley, broke the mugs in the dumpster, and threw them away. And when I went back into the house, she was sitting there. I went into my bedroom and got a Bible, brought it back, opened it, and began reading the Bible to her, starting at verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 18. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter, with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. I closed the Bible. She sat there silently for a minute, and then she said, Well... I guess we better not do that anymore. She was instantly born again. I came back to Dallas where I lived, and my uncle wrote to me, and he said, Your mother has changed. She has really changed. That's what being born again is. 
It's seeing you're doing something that's a sin, recognizing it as a sin, turning from it. Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery, go and sin no more. You can't keep doing that sin after your eyes are open to the fact that it's a sin. But the churches of the end-time apostasy, they want big crowds, and they want lots of money, and crowds mean money. So long as they don't speak Romans chapter 1 to homosexuals, so long as they don't speak Matthew chapter 5 verse 32 to women who are divorced and to men who are about to marry them. So long as they don't speak about sin and offend sinners, they can keep big crowds at their churches and they make merchandise of you, says Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. This is the end time. This is the time before Jesus returns to gather the church. But he's not going to gather the apostate church, the ones that fell away from Scripture and set up other doctrine to please men. That's an apostate church. He's not going to return for them. He's going to destroy them. And he will destroy the Antichrist spirit that speaks inside that church. And the reason I know that is because it's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 8. In verses 3 and 4, we've been shown a falling away will come before Jesus returns. And that falling away are churches falling away from Scripture. Then at verse 8 we read, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. If your church that you attend, if, if there's anything that they are speaking that is opposite to a scripture that is the end time apostasy and you must flee that church for they will be destroyed upon the return of Jesus.
and they will make merchandise of you. There are some preachers that wring money out of you. They extort money out of you by threatening you with Scripture. If you don't give to them, God will not bless you. If you give, God will bless you. They take Scripture and twist it. Nobody ever had to wring money out of me. I was so grateful to God that I gave more than I really could afford to give. Gladly, because I wanted to give. But this is what they do, unfortunately, today. Many, many ministers are not born again, and they are not ministers of God, and they made themselves ministers by going to Bible school, and they set themselves up as pastors, and they do what they can do to get more offerings. I have even heard a pastor say, we will pray that Baptists will come to our church. He was non-denominational because they've already taught Baptists how to give money. So you can read the writing that I printed on this podcast, attached to this podcast, for it will give you many scriptures spoken by Peter, spoken by Jesus, warning you about false ministers in the end times, which I feel certain we have to be at the end times. There's just too much horrible stuff going on in the world and in the apostate churches. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.